Welcome to another episode of Dawncast. My name is Kathy Ngo. And I'm Di Lee. Today we have Rachel Worsley from Neurodiversity Media here joining us. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for having me here. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, we're so excited to have you here because, oh, happy birthday, by the way. Not your birthday, but um, Neurodiversity Media is one years old. Is that right? Yeah, as of yesterday, the 14th of June. As of yesterday. Wow. Well, congratulations. congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. First milestone. <laughs> I know, the first baby. Or is it your first babe, like business baby? <laughs> it's technically the second one, actually. Okay. Yeah, the first one was the, uh, as before the interview, was um, a poetry business. I do poetry on the spot on an old typewriter. But that's a whole different story. But yeah. yes, I'm very proud of this one. It's a, you know, second business, first year, it's still a big deal. Mm. So how did it all start? Tell us about your journey. Yeah, definitely. So it all started um, with me. I have a background in journalism. I started my journalism career in 2014 as a medical reporter while still at uni, studying a law degree. Um, you know, I basically translated research papers for doctors and specialists, so GPs and specialists writing about the latest news. Um, and I moved on into um, the biggest GP magazine, Australian Doctor. Um, where I sort of reported on some of the biggest issues facing doctors at the time, which were, um, you know, uh, uh, doctors' mental health. And that was where I got shortlisted as Young Writer of the Year, kind of the height of my journalism career, it seemed like. And then I kind of left it all behind and went into law, thinking I was studying this law degree, I should actually try and find a way to use it. So I went into the law firms, but I actually, um, funnily enough, I uh, just just thought, oh, actually this marketing thing seemed more interesting. And I thought that was my foothold to get into, you know, paralegal position. Turned out I actually enjoyed the marketing bit a lot more. <laughs> and so I did it across two different law firms. And then I um, started up my first business, which was the poetry business I mentioned, um, doing poems in the street on this old typewriter. And then basically um, realizing there was a lot more money to be made from it. I had the entrepreneurial itch, I went out. Did it for three months full time after I left, and then neurodiversity media started when I went to a symposium to find out more about neurodiversity and employment. And then when I was there, I thought these are really interesting issues that we were talking about. You know, how to help mm -hmm. autistic people, people with ADHD, to find work. Um, you know, the employment aspect, but also how to thrive at work. And I realized, okay, these organizations are doing good work, but nobody was hearing about what they were doing. And I thought, okay, maybe I should just start a marketing agency based on my law firm, you know, marketing experience and also my journalism experience in telling stories. And that was how the business, you know, as of one year ago, originally started, which was a couple of calls, got a couple of clients, self-raised the money based on those contracts. Um, and then, um, you know, along the way, I heard more of these stories about, um, you know, people really struggling to find work. I thought about my journalism career with, um, you know, translating research studies, did my research, realized all the stuff was in the papers, but no one was reporting on this. So I started an international newsletter that got off um, to a strong start internationally, caught some attention. We got some money to get into an accelerator program and we've been building a tech solution, which is where I'm at right now. Um, what is neurodiversity media? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so neurodiversity media, the way we've boiled it down is it's essentially a media company with 
different um, sort of uh, sectors, which is um, one, there was a NeuroWork newsletter with the journalism, which is all about educating people about neurodiversity workplace. So in neurodivergent, the community, which is those with autism, ADHD, dyslexia, or a combination of more. Um, we have an arm of the content marketing, as I mentioned, that helps businesses tell those stories through helping them with their marketing or giving them strategic advice on that. And our third sort of um, service, I guess, we have is developing this tech platform, which was combining all of that together into a resource library, which we've kind of dubbed like Netflix, but for information and resources focused on neurodiversity in the workplace. So that's sort of a kind of a catch-all what we actually do at the moment. Is there a personal story behind all of this? So why the focus on neurodiversity? Yeah, so for me, I was diagnosed with ADHD um, and autism in 2018. Um, and when I was working in a law firm, um, I had actually up to then a really supportive workplaces, but I've also had encounters with you know, bosses and people who were perhaps not as understanding or just didn't know or had you know, the resources to understand how to help someone like me. And that personal story, I agree, definitely drove me to partially start the business. Um, I had many motivations, but that was definitely the personal experience for me, I think, allows me to be authentic about what I'm telling um, or what I'm trying to help businesses with because I go, I understand. I come from the perspective of that. Mm. And I'm also finding in the journey of neurodiversity media, hiring people and managing people, that I now understand what employers feel and think about because I realised that, okay, well, just because I'm neurodivergent doesn't mean I actually automatically know how to manage neurodivergent people either. These are all very human leadership skills that everybody has to learn. I'm just in a more unique position of having automatic empathy, I suppose, for, you know, people in that position. But it doesn't mean, like, you know, we're all on a journey of learning as well. Can you tell us more a bit about the diagnosis? Because 2018, that was, like, fairly recent. Recent. Two years ago. Yeah. So, like, how did you feel? Like, was it a sense of relief as well? Like, tell us um, how, how did it come to that diagnosis? It's a it's an interesting story because um, – on reflection, I go, someone like me should have found out a lot earlier. So I do know I had early intervention and speech therapy when I was younger because I actually was nonverbal. And so I had a provisional diagnosis when I was living in Singapore. Quick background, I'm born in Australia. I lived in Singapore in childhood and came to Australia back again. But yeah, back in that um, process, um, ADHD wasn't picked up and I, you know, I had a history of, you know, I, I, I was very hyper-focused on things I enjoyed and did, and I just barely struggled to, um, you know, do anything that did not interest me whatsoever. I was not hyperactive. I was the inattentive type. I was the daydreamer or doing something else. Um, and most girls who are that don't get picked up. For ADHD and autism, we're more likely to mask our true selves and have to conform to society. And all of that was real barriers that I hear every day when I read my messages and stuff from women who feel the same way. And how I only got to that point um, was just basically um, pure luck in the sense of, you know, I, I did talk to people um, with autism, ADHD, to find out more about this journey of thinking maybe this sounds a bit like me and having that realization, oh God, it, it is me and <laughs> being really depressed about it. So I self-diagnosed and then I did follow up with a proper diagnosis, which I did get. And 
yeah, recency being that that was like 25 years old, and I got that diagnosis. And to be honest, I actually think I'm one of the lucky ones because most women seem to get it in their 40s. And that's 40 years of trying to start all over again versus 25 years. I mean, it's still hard, but it's it's that's that's the truth with the journeys of everybody in this position. Um, ADHD, that's attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Is that right? Yes. A- mm. a- and... Um, and so for you, you saying that the symptoms of that is basically you, you can't focus on one thing or you can or that. How, how does yeah. it show up in the work, in your workplace, in your life that make, because when you were describing some of the symptoms, I'm thinking, hang on. That's this, me. That's oh. me. A bit, a bit, it sounds a bit like I, me, but I don't know. I was, exactly, I was thinking about that as well. I'm thinking, you know, like, you know, you daydream a little bit and then you kind of, okay, if you like this, you're going to focus on this and you're going to do this. And then, and then you might think, oh, no, I don't want to do that. So, so I just kind of wanted to get some really, I, I know we're not, disclaimer here, we're not kind of, uh, we're not doctors. Doctors, we're not. <laughs> but yeah. we kind of get a bit of, from, from what you initially said, I thought, mm, is there me in there? <laughs> <laughs> I understand. It's a really common reaction. It's something that I'm doing my best in my communication and try to emphasise, you know, how is this different from everybody who experiences some of those symptoms? And the best way I've come to explain that better is to talk about the extreme, the ext- how extreme it is on both ends is that most people kind of fall in the middle where, yes, we, we can go on either end or we're very, very bo- we're, we're bored or we're kind of interested and we're mildly that. For us, it's sort of like if you had, you know, like if everyone's in the middle here, it's like we're, I'm like all there, all there, you know, like it's, um. so when I mean I'm very, very interested in something, it means I can sit down and do something interested and focus on it for 24 hours or 48 hours straight if I want to do it. And and then I will do that kind of behavior on quite a repeatable basis that's beyond most people's kind of, um, you know, thing. And that's supposed to be the good side. They obviously the bad side is you also ignore your social life and, and upset people and annoy people because they don't understand why you're so focused on this one tiny thing that doesn't seem to matter, but you're so interested in it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, um, you get people, you, you know, you become so bored and uninterested which means that, um, you know, um, the worst cases, it means that you drop out of school and you do, you know, things that get you high and homeless and stuff. Or, yeah, and also, but from my perspective, you know, it's just simply, um, you know, being at work, it's more like um, I'm interrupting people all the time or I, you know, um, find it so restless I can't stay in my seat and I've got to walk around and I'm very disruptive. But also with a female presentation, you know, we learn to conform so much that we try and hold it down. But the process of trying to manage either the hyperactivity or, 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 or just us trying to pay attention, like, you know, verbal processing is difficult for some of us. It's um, the best way that, yeah, I've learned to kind of describe it is, well, if you have those two extremes and they've kind of been on an ongoing basis that affect you in both your work, your home life and all that and cause so much disruption in your relationships and your self-esteem, um, which creates, you know, mental illness. And unfortunately, most professionals only see the mental illness part and they say, you're, you're just anxious or depressed. You're just type A, but they don't actually ask you about how, how that, how that came to that, which is the, the inactive, it's the inattention and the hyperactive. So that's, that's the best way to describe it. Cause I agree. Everyone has all of that, 
But what makes it ADHD versus that is just how extreme it is on both ends that causes such disruption that requires a diagnosis. Mm. And you said you've had ADHD as well as autism as well. Yes, and 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 that's actually you know um, part of here when I read the research, and actually the stats do say that those two conditions co- go to get go together very often. It, they are, um, as they say, comorbid because. Um, but the problem is in neurodiversity, and why I like the term neurodiversity, is that we keep focusing on single conditions, and we don't actually realize how a lot of these actually interact, and yet it's actually in the literature that they actually do interact and therefore they require different management strategies. And because of the lack of information and knowledge, because we've treated autism as its own entity, ADHD's own entity, we fail to realize it actually all interacts. Um, We've got little bits and pieces. Um, That's where we struggle to find the help that we need because they go, well, as an autistic person, you go, okay, well, they need this strategy. But I go, well, no, because I act in this way because I actually have ADHD too. And then people go, oh, uh, what do I do? You know? And uh, yeah, and that's, I, that, I think that's why, you know, what I do at Neurodiversity Media is finding different ways to tell stories and to bring knowledge out and to connect people together to share experiences um, and share knowledge. Because people all have knowledge about these things. It's just not in one room and it's not told in a way that people can understand. Mm, mm. How common is ADHD and autism as a kind of um, Combri- inter- hybrid, combined? Yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, it's um, this is a stat I've been really trying to find, and it's very hard to find it. But <laughs> estimates are that you know, if say at least um, you know, the stat in the US is like one in fifty nine have autism, and then the stats is like at least ten percent of the population is neurodivergent. Then if you're going to have a combination. Um, the truth is they say the prevalence of having it is between 30 to 50% of autistic people could also have ADHD. And this is the problem with all the different benchmarks and stats. Answering that simple question is very hard, which then goes to actually the reason why I have to start this business and do this is because if we don't even know that's a problem, no wonder we have the problems we have. So my first job is to actually highlight this is a problem. So I wish, yeah, I really wish I had a simple answer, but the fact you have to answer, ask this and I have to struggle finding answers shows this is why we need to solve this problem. Because I think there's a lot of uh, groups around autism. You know, we have autism schools. Uh, we have autism groups. Uh, and, of course, you also have the ADHD groups. But I think I have seen more talk and discussions around autism and there seem to be an increase in diagnosis of autism. Uh, but I think it goes to your point of it's, I think... They're operating in silos. Yeah, it's not yeah. helpful to, and it's it's about helping other people, which is what you're exactly what you're trying to do as well, and to help people. Okay, how do you manage, um, well, not manage, lead someone with um, both, both, yeah. But it's, it's interesting to know, to interesting to hear that they're both that you know you either hear one or the other, like uh, not the two uh, yeah. conditions being in, in 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 one, you know, having one two conditions. You having two conditions? I, I agree. And, um, you know, maybe the best way, I guess, to compare it is, I guess, maybe in a way it's an analogy that might resonate a little better with you is that 
uh, from a cultural background, I come from a Malaysian Chinese background and a um, you know UK English background, right? But my surname is Worsley, so people assume straight away you read it's like, oh, okay, you're you know you're obviously like Anglo-Saxon, and then of course they see me and they go, okay, that's not the case, right? <laughs> and um, but then what what usually happens though is that means people um, I can't really fit in ethnic Chinese groups because I have an Anglo-Saxon surname but I don't really fit in an Anglo-Saxon world because I obviously look Chinese and I have grew up in a you know ethnic environment and then I go well where is where am I supposed to fit in right or or where where are the people who are half and half and I feel like autism and ADHD I feel like in a way I'm, I'm in the same position well, well. you know Dawn is the half for the, Dawn is for the half and half people of cult, cult, cultures you know you're sitting on the fence having one foot on one side of the western culture and the other foot on the other side of the Eastern culture. So for us, it's interesting when you're talking about neurodiversity, uh, you describe it's about it's a thinking, it's about, uh, you know, conditions and, and how the different divergence of, 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 of uh, conditions. And for me, I'm thinking, well, I suppose for us, the diversity and inclusion drive that we do around Dawn is around bringing cultures together, like you you know, being um, Malaysian Chinese, but also you know the Anglo-Saxon name. That means you you, you combine both worlds and being bringing the best of both worlds into you, being the best version of yourself. Uh, and so that's what we're trying to champion as well through through the Dawn um, the Dawn initiative that we have. So it's interesting how you know we, we are kind of on on a similar path there. Yeah, I agree because I think um, it's um, what's key to a lot of these diversity debates or inclusion debates is that intersectionality really does matter. Like there really are so many ways it intersects, and um, you know we, we've got sexuality as well, and we've got you know that, and there's that all that dynamic explore that cuts in, and so it's sort of like um, you know we have to also talk about how it all intersects, but rather we all seem to want to build our own silos and camps based on this one identity because yeah. it's easy. It's simple, right? It's easy to identify. Who wants to join something, you know, really broad if you can go join something more niche, right? That's just how it works. But I, I agree with you that I think it causes silos and, uh, and, and and keeps away information that could help other people and also improve understanding across different cultures. Because I do feel like neurodiversity in itself, you know, it's a bit of a cultural kind of thing, I feel, because a lot of autistic people feel that, you know, we're not necessarily deficient in empathy. You know, that's a very pernicious myth. You know, we actually probably have too much of it in certain situations. And most of the time, it's because we express it in a way that neurotypical people, as we say, people who are not of the divergent line, in a sense, like, they don't understand that. So the problem is more about their lack of understanding of our culture, rather than, you know, we're a medical problem. And that's what I feel that we need to move that conversation to more of a cultural sort of understanding of going, actually, it's it's not to say that we don't have our challenges and that's the reason why it's a condition that's, you know, we need to have treatment and all of that. We're not saying get rid of all that because a lot of people in neurodiversity, some people in, in the autistic field kind of resent neurodiversity because they think it's championing the high functioning types, which I reject such a label because... I know I go through a lot of challenges myself and I look like I'm high functioning on the outside, but it's not true. Um, you know, I think uh, we need to have a proper conversation about these topics. And I really welcome dog as, you know, one of the people trying to open up these conversations. And just to that, I think as a society, we're so fixated on labelling people, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Labelling people, putting them into boxes, 
ticker box exercise as well, which made me think about my university days in which when, you know, when you're trying to do a study for a thesis, your PhD, you would rather, and I know this is bad, and I'm not saying all of them, but it's so much easier just to put people into categories just so that you can get that PhD rather than really understanding the broader impact that something has in our society and, and what you said as well about the intersexual inter mm. I, I always struggle saying that. intersectionality. Inter <laughs> I, I heard you say intersexual. <laughs> intersectionality. <laughs> Stop thinking no about sex. sex. No sex. <laughs> no sex. <laughs> this is G rated people. <laughs> PG. <laughs> oh, yeah, PG. <laughs> uh, but but how do you think uh, workplaces in the work that you've been doing, how, how are workplaces coming to terms with now another label for another group of people? I mean, I think for, for Dawn, we've been pushing this whole uh, culturally and linguistically diverse community. And then, of course, there's this gender conversation being pushed and there's the LGBTQI being pushed. And now there's, uh, and of course, there's the, also the Indigenous conversation being pushed. And now... <laughs> The neurodiversity. How do you think managers, <laughs> workplace organisations, do you think they're pulling their hair out? What? Another another group of people we have to deal with, do you think? I, I agree because I think fundamentally when I think about it, I go, what's really telling is that the majority of my professional career before I became an entrepreneur was that I we all didn't have knowledge of me with ADHD and autism and yet I was actually accepted as who I am because I was judged on you know, my competence at work and what I brought in and probably I had a few quirks or challenges that people were like, what the heck? But like they were able to manage that because it actually came down to good leadership 101. And this is actually in the research, the research that was done of autistic programs, at least a couple studies actually said, oh, well, actually the take home from that was it's great to have a program, but guess what? The most uh, the most telling factor of what's effective is actually whether the leaders at that organisation are committed to, you know, that change and making that as good practice, not not as an exclusive program per se, but that, not that I'm against any, you know, exclusive program stuff, I think it's a good roadmap to bring the issue, you know, in awareness to light. But what, what made me think about that recently was I saw a very good cartoon on LinkedIn that talked about, um, I think it's, it's like the famous baseball scene about equality, equity, Oh yeah, oh, the one where they're stepping on the box thingy, right? Is that, is that the yeah, boxes? on the boxes, right? Yeah, but yeah. I saw a really good um, graphic that actually had the metaphor as a tree, an orchard tree. Oh, so, the apples. Which is inequality, the two, the two people, but it's like equality is like, you know, they're given the same tools, but they're obviously not reaching for the same tree. And then equity is creating the ladders that are all tailored, custom made to be able to reach the tree. But then justice was actually fixing the tree itself to make it straight so that both people can can reach the tree um you know with the help that they need instead of creating custom solutions that were you know tailored to help boost it up without actually fixing the real problem which is the tree is the problem and actually i should you know and like it's i really wanted to probably talk about this another time in a sense because i think that is at the heart of all of these diversity debates is that we focus on those custom solutions the equity kind of solution but actually i left a comment on linkedin and i said well actually you know what that reminds me of a lot of disability employment programs where it seems like a custom solution when we should actually be thinking about the structural the structure itself the power system maybe fix that system 
And then that's where once we fix the system, then we can create opportunities and tools to help everybody succeed regardless of who they are. Yeah, you've got to fix the tree. Yeah, but how, but how do you fix the tree? Uh, if the tree has formed its roots on the ground, it's growing that way, it'll branch out that way and it'll branch out completely. Um I can't. I don't know how we can fi- fix that structural system, uh, and I think I, I agree with you in terms of those uh, special programs are are just really tinkering on the edge of this structural prog- program. But if we don't have that, because at, at times I'm thinking, well, you know, do, do we want to go down and do training for just you know looking at culturally and, and linguistically diverse? Uh, you know, people to train them up to be leaders, or whatever. Uh, are we just too focused on one particular group? Then how do we take on board other groups? But I think how do you how do you overcome? How do you change that structural system? Um, it'd be great to not have those mm. other programs, but how do we change that? Yeah, it's. Um, I feel like if you're going to have a transcript or show notes, probably definitely drop a link to this particular <laughs> metaphor because it's going to make it easier for the listeners to understand. But um, I, I, what I found in the, in the comments section was someone actually made a really good point, which was like, why are we focusing on just trying to fix the crooked tree, which is bent the other way, right? And then try and focus on straightening it because that's really hard. What if it's all about trying to plant new seeds, and yeah. new trees, yes. which then grow properly because you nurture those <laughs> trees properly? Yeah. I know it just sounds like we're really stretching the metaphor, but no, also it's, true. it's a really good way, it's a really not, good way to explain the situation. You know, yeah. not everyone wants apples. You might want bananas or eggplants. <laughs> yeah. oh, you, should, you should see. You should so see the comment section. I swear, like people are saying, yeah, you plant new seeds for new trees that you nurture properly and they grow properly. So that means you know that's where we can achieve true justice, yeah. or or we try and try justice by across the orchard where you know we look at i know some people were really pushing the metaphor which is really good because it really does illustrate you know how do we fix the structure and i go i agree because i think we do put a lot of effort trying to fix a broken tree because then the alternative would sound like anarchy where you tear down the whole tree and grow chop it down <laughs> because that if you really take it that far because then that's the implication yeah. but i i like the idea of um, you know, that's why it goes back to storytelling is because with the stories and examples and showcasing examples of people who do it right, where they haven't judged you based on your, your skin color or, or your, your, your diversity, your mind, or, you know, all the categories we talk about in diversity inclusion, they actually were like, well, firstly, we just have to treat everybody equally with respect and all that regardless of diversity. Right. So that's principle number one. And then number two is that everyone, um, has a unique perspective to contribute you know that diversity is a strength in any team um, and that's something we should just think about because that's just good business that's just good leadership um, you know and number three is how do we bring the best out of all these people and and then that's it because then these are universal principles and if you just plant seeds that are based on that then it's all about supporting people to um, you know grow to their best potential and then in a way, when all those trees, <laughs> really take this tree. if you grow all these little tree. shoots and, and, and trees, right, then they all become healthy orchards. And then the big tree that's slanted and broken, so we're trying to focus on that one broken tree, we just focus on the new forest yeah, of exactly. possibilities and tear down the old tree. <laughs> I 
this interview probably took a very strange turn. But <laughs> I really, really thought that particular post and, and, and that picture, that, that metaphor really resonated with a lot of people. It was very popular and the ideas put in there. And I think it really does hopefully provide a clear roadmap as to how we can you know fix the system and structure rather than tinker around the edges interestingly that metaphor is based off a book that was written um, in the 1950s so we've been talking about equality for a very very long time and I don't know how much longer but hopefully not that much longer but it's good that we're having these conversations right now and what you're doing as well, Rachel, in raising more awareness uh, for neurodiversity. So tell us what's next for you. What's next for me is um, finalising the build of this um, resource library, um, which is sort of a, 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 I guess, a nice way to tie together sort of the themes and kind of like my professional life where um, not only in journalism, finding ways to translate dense information into, um, you know, accessible resources um, to put everybody. So regardless of, you know, uh, if you're dyslexic, if you struggle with reading t- big texts on learning about your, this, you know, learning about your sort of different strengths, you you can have it in videos. And uh, so we don't discriminate by a format. We want to make every information resource in an accessible format that anybody can access. Um, we know we want it to be personalized to people's career goals and stuff. So that personalization part of that library. So it's kind of like, yeah, you can go to your library that's online. It's sorted and categorized in a way that just makes sense. It's easy to manage because um, you can, we, because I, we can Google all of the stuff ourselves, but Google's a mess. Yes, so it's it is. Hole. Yes. And just having one place where you can kind of know it's nice and easy and categorized, but also have an option to personalize it according to what you actually really need is the holy grail yeah and um, you know version one of the platform we release hopefully in july early to mid-july is the aim and that's um our focus and um and it's going to be open for not just the neurodivergent community to benefit from but um everybody else who's interested to support it and it's like just like you pay a fee for watching netflix and it's ever-growing library resource um you know entertainment i should say um we want to replicate something similar for this because um yeah i do believe it's it sounds a little ambitious i do feel like it is a potential business model for journalism as well because having the news and having that reporting categorized as well and contextualized with um resources that are you know podcasts videos uh you know infographic infographics visuals but also one-on-one coaching also one-on-one you know um sort of uh you know tools whatever all in this one library instead of finding all the disparate elements in one spot that's that's what we'll that's the next step wow we should talk rachel we should talk (laughs) in 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 terms of uh you know similar to I, I see you planting the seed for the neurodiversity in, in, in terms of media. See the seed again. And I'm planting the seed for the diversity for, from culture and diversity perspective. Uh, and I think it'd be great. Uh, let's, let's, let's have a chat offline. But I think what you're doing is, is similar to what Dawn is trying to achieve, but from a, a, a culturally and linguistically diverse perspective to bring it all together so that, like what you've described there, uh, this the kind of media what you're d- t- talking about is the reason why you know instead of I think instead of us con- constantly waiting for the media landscape to change and have more representatives of diverse voices and faces I'm thinking well we might as well plant a tree 
create our own little media mm. platform and showcase this kind of stories that you would not get heard or aired because they're so focused on a particular kind of, of uh, you know perspective of storytelling and they're focused on a particular group of people to tell that story rather than the other stories that are out there that matters. So we shine the lights stories on stories of everyday people. Yeah, basically. that's right. Of, of, yeah, hundred percent. This is the beauty of the internet: is that yeah. you know, yes, it brings out the worst of some people, but it also brings out the best stories because it gives everyone, you know, an equal, you know, as equal as a shot you can get on getting those voices. So I really commend what you guys do. Which I definitely am open to working together. I think that's the exciting part of when I think about neurodiversity. Actually, really, my final point is neurodiversity is the ultimate inclusive mm-hmm. movement because it actually. Everyone has everyone has a mind, oh, right? Yeah. So everyone has a different different minds, whether they're neurotypical and neurodiversity. The beauty of neurodiversity in its original definition, which I should add, neurodiversity is an Australian concept. Mm-hmm. It was invented by an Australian wow. person. Wow, I really? Know. I didn't Judy know that. Finger. That's a bit of trivia. That's a good trivia. Go. Judy Finger is a Australian sociologist based in Sydney. We've had chats before. She was the one who came up with this concept in her honors thesis from UTS. And wow. she wrote a book about this, but, you know, she she had to go overseas in the US and UK to get, you know, some Funding. kind of recognition. Yeah, and, recognition. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> the usual story. But, and then that's it. It's an Australian, this is, this is a, it's a great Australian story. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the media never well, caught up on we would should We should get her on our Dawncast because I love, I love neuroplasticity. Plastic, oh, bloody hell. Um, yeah. And that book came out uh, probably about that three three years ago. Neuro neuroplasticity is that right? Yeah, by Norman Deutsch, the brain that couldn't change change itself. Yeah, it's amazing. I love that book, um, mm. and uh, it's about the brain. So when you when when Catherine talk, Catherine talk about oh this neurodiversity media, I'm thinking oh neuro similar yeah. to what that book, but of course. You know, oh, she said, no, no, there's other aspect to the neurodiversity media. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I thought neuro was the other part. It's about how to rewire your brain. Um, oh, it is, yeah. yeah. So there's that concept, I agree. And then neurodiversity in itself is the championing of um, the best way to describe it. And it's in, in the original thesis as well. It's like biodiversity. We have all sorts of different wildlife. We also have all sorts of different types of minds. Now, some types of minds happen to be mm-hmm. medical conditions, right but um but it, it's within the right context we can shine i think and that's very important because we go yes within the right context we can shine we'll always have our challenges and that's where the medical profession can help and step in on that but this is a concept that just simply helps normalize people like myself um and everybody else to also you know indicate that we've got things to add as well you know we've got and that's why i like the concept as it is because it's sort of different from other diversities where it's not about this particular type it actually is simply a sociological concept that welcomes all types of minds and we should not be judging you know them on you know certain values that may or may not be accurate depending on the context wow well at dawncast we do shine the light on stories that matter mm. and we'll give you an apple too plant <laughs> <laughs> the trees yes plant a seed in your mind yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. That's a fantastic conversation, Rachel. Uh, I will definitely, we will definitely reach out to you and discuss this offline and how we can collaborate together. But it's wonderful to hear of neurodiversity media and wishing you amazing success. And I have no doubt, uh, you know, we will be kicking down a lot of those old trees. 
<laughs> Chopping well, them down? Chopping them down or raising them to the ground. I don't know. I mean, that just sounds Chopping them down. Uh, like all right. We don't want to be anarchists. No, no. Yeah. That's right. You know how with those statues? No, no. We don't want to knock anything down. Yeah. No vandalism. Well, but you know, like, like all trees, right? You just have to, you know, the, the way that they have to decommission all trees or take them down. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about my local council. But, you know, there's ways to obviously take out all trees and replant yeah, new ones. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> let's, 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 let's do that. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Rachel. Well, guys, that was Rachel Worsley from Neurodiversity Media. Thank you so much for watching. My name is Kathy Ngo. And I'm Dai Lee. And make sure you subscribe to Dawncast and, you know, share it with us. If you've got a story to share, uh, email us or subscribe and click by clicking the link below. Thank the you bell. so much for it. Yeah, click the, on bell. the bell. The bell. The bell. <laughs> not the whistle. The bell. Yeah. Did you say whistle? No. no. Not the tree either. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. You better turn up. You better be there when I shake. Watch me rocking if I can't stop. If I should fall, just go ahead. Go.